Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to Pick and Drive Live, the live edition of our weekly podcast where we review and preview the big matches in Australian rugby. I'm your host, Ando, and with me is Mitch. Hey. And Rev. G'day. But look, let's be honest, more importantly, you're not here for us. A, a big part of you here for the man, the myth, the legend, Morgan Tiranui. So he's one of the big guns in Australian rugby, Wallaby, Waratah, Reds player, current Stan Sports commentator. Morgs, it's brilliant to have you on. How are you, mate? Oh, mate, thanks for having me on. Uh, good to be back on StreamYard. It's uh, the same sort of um, thing we use for the ruckus. So it's been a while. It's is the this is where the true rugby folk come to talk about all those things we care about, especially this time of year. So thanks for having me on. Mate, it's an awesome. absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming. Now, to the listeners that are out there, thank you so much for getting involved. A big part of why we do the Pick and Drive Live is to have that ongoing and regular interaction with you, our loyal listeners. So please be making sure that you throughout the night are commenting, you're throwing your thoughts, questions, banter, your, your wild aspersions. Please throw them at us and we'll be asking, we'll be answering them and going back and forth with you throughout the night. So please get involved. But what are we going to be doing tonight? We are going to be covering these simple things. We're going to go through the Bledisloe Cup performances for games one and two, just briefly, because nobody in Australian rugby really wants to go too much into depth with those matches anymore. Uh, we are going to go through our predicted lineup for the Wallabies because we're playing on a Sunday. We don't have the team list just yet, but hey, you've got us, and that's as good as a final team list. <laughs> then the Bledisloe three discussions before we get into our predictions. And if we have time, if we have time, we'll do a preview of the rugby championship, but we will see. Now, just to start things off, uh, we've got listener, regular favourite, Jason Sherman. Morgs, where's Benny? We miss him. <laughs> Mate, he's in the ivory tower at the Stan Sport headquarters these days. I can't get him on the phone. He doesn't answer my calls anymore. He's too important. Uh, he's all about UEFA and those sorts of things at the moment. So, um, no, he's too cool for school, Benny. Well, mate, so he basically got you a job at Stan and then what, bug it off? Is that what you're telling us? Well, pretty much. No, well, yeah, he's been helping them, I think, at Stan in a consultant role. So he's actually been in there. I was doing a fair bit of soccer and some acquisition of sport, I think. Um, but I must say, this is much more professionally run than what he was able to do. So, mate, the graphics are good. <laughs> you had the highlights teaser at the start. I was waiting for a song for 18 months or some sort of intro and it never happened. So I'm very impressed thus far. I don't even know where that video came from. Mitch just got it up one day, and I, I haven't asked. I haven't asked who he stole it from, but thank you, Mitch. I'm really loving it. I might talk to uh, Stan and Nine about copyright issues, actually. Else. <laughs> yeah. Can you not? We won't erase that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping that. that wouldn't come up. <laughs> no, you got to pay, pay Tim Horan's salary somehow. Yeah, well, right. uh, how about you guys just bring us on board and then all those copyrights. <laughs> okay, so that'll be that'll be it. Um, well, thank you. So let's basically begin. We want to start with the rugby championship, or at least Bledisloe 1 and 2 that we've seen so far. And the for those of you, obviously, who've been watching Game 1 and Game 2, we're not pretty for the Australians. We went down 33 to 25 and 57 to 22 in the first few games over at Eden Park. And, Morgs, I want to start with you, mate. Were the Wallabies as bad as the scoreline suggested, particularly in in game two. 
Oh, it's a, it's a pretty simple thing. I think I get asked a lot, actually. But this, the scoreboard is the great piece of feedback. It is the great statistic. And we have a little bit of chat about some of the things in Bledisloe too. Bledisloe one for mine was was they just missed opportunities. The Wallabies early in the game when they could have put scoreboard pressure on, and then it was sort of going to be a matter of time. And the All Blacks, by comparison, in that middle part of the game, just went bang, 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 which is a really good lesson for the Wallabies there. And then, truthfully, we were disappointing in the second Bledisloe that period where. Wallabies are up 15 men to 14. Um, they are really poor in managing the game. The decision-making was poor really in that period. Uh, we had Dave Rennie on Rugby Heaven this week, and he said they made 11 mistakes in 11 minutes of play. And you do that against an All Blacks team who just want that front foot fast ball. They want that chaos, and it was always going to be ugly. And then, you know, the worst thing you can do against New Zealand is play catch-up rugby, and we found ourselves over the past few years doing that. So that so the games where we're going to get beaten, they do get really ugly for Wallabies teams because they risk more, they try harder, they play catch-up rugby. It makes it look worse, whereas it, you'd almost be better off eking out a, a closer score. But in the cold, hard light of day, we've been well beaten by a superior side at the moment. And Rev, that kind of speaks to something that you brought up in our last pod, which was the extent of some of our defeats against the All Blacks. Um, we were talking about how, despite the fact that we play them so regularly, our record against them on home soil was actually better than that of South Africa and England. And yet the, the significance or the scale of some of our losses to them in that same period of time is so significant. Do you want to speak to that and what that reveals about some, some of the fact that we just aren't having the close games. We either get really close and sometimes win or it's often a blowout. Yeah, uh, th- that was one of the stats. So I was doing a bit of a dive in in the last 50 matches between us. Uh, I think we'd won about eight or so and lost um, around 40. But the concerning thing was around 20 of those losses were 20 points or more, just the blowouts that tend to happen. And I think watching that second match in particular, it really reminded me of the 2019 quarterfinal against England. Um, that game, we lost 40 to 16. But when you think, you know, there was a David Pocock intercept and then they tried a ridiculous kick at the end just to try and catch up and uh, England scored off that. And it really blew out the scoreline. I, I think it's something that Australian rugby... Um, and in particular, maybe some of the backs just haven't really had enough time to gel. We saw with that last year, the Checker era, the team chopping and changing all the time. I like that Rennie's tried to keep the team pretty stable and not too many changes where he can. Um, but again, that's another thing that's going to be interesting this week when he is forced to a few backline positions. I think I nearly tore my hair out when we gave away yet another cutout pass intercept in game two. And Morgs, is that something that you just, if you were a coach there, you'd just be banning cutout passes? Well, it's a hard one because you're a coach, like say Scott Wiseman in attack, for example, you never, ever want to say, never do this or I ban this or whatever, because you know what's going to happen. There'll be there'll be the world's biggest opportunity for a big harbour bridge that they don't do and the player will come in and go, well, you said you banned it. I think what we do too much is tighten the reins on players. But, look, I think the big one is it, it is because of the pressure the All Blacks exert. It's not it's not a tactic. It's not something. Right, guys, the opportunity to throw these long cutout passes is an element of, of the attack being quite flat, one wave instead of two waves of attack and pressure, inside pressure, heat from defence, lack of communication. I, I think generally the last few, we've got a really quiet generation of players. And I noticed that coaching, notice that being around super rugby teams. They're great athletes. Geez, they work hard. They bash the crap out of guys that played three or four years ago. Even physically, the advancements are so quick. But I do find it a really quiet in terms of communication group and backs especially. And I think some some more demands of our players to provide information to the Noel Olaseos and Matt Tomuas who have those hard decision-making jobs. 
I think it's rare to see a Larkham um, who just did everything himself. Like, truthfully, you gave Collins, but he just saw the right opportunities. And we, we just never have replaced a guy that, that good and probably never will now. He was, he was a rarity who could just run everything himself. So tens need so much information. They need so much help. Um, and I think maybe there's a huge element of receivers not being uh, good enough with their comps. Look, I think the funny thing was that the second intercept last time, I think even Sean Maloney in commentary, who he's always pretty neutral, said, oh, when will they learn or will they never learn or something? Yeah. I guess we're all just exactly thought, oh, no, not again. <laughs> Mate, I think uh, Sean Maloney's got to watch. He's got to look in a review mirror because uh, another member of the Maloney household had a pretty star-studded appearance <laughs> on Rugby Heaven on Monday night. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Yaz, uh, young Yaz was excellent. Actually, yeah, the Turinui kids have had a crack. Yaz has had a crack. They're all brilliant. We're all worried. <laughs> when are the Harrison kids coming on next? Yeah, I think they're next, actually. We're going to get our pound of flesh out of these kids, that's for sure. <laughs> How good. Well, one of the things, and Mitch, I might throw this one to you, mate. I know that you and I were both incredibly frustrated at the second game, but a lot of what happened during that game, and like Dave Rennie spoke about during the press of those 11 um errors within 11 minutes they're things that are unforced errors that are fixable does that give you a little bit of hope going into this game perhaps if we can just cut out those unforced errors from our game that we might actually be a chance yeah i mean that's always what we've been clinging on to for the last few years as wallabies fans that one day the things are going to start to tick and click and and the chain the mistakes that we're making in those last few games are just going to disappear and, and we're all of a sudden going to put in a great performance uh the problem that we have is that it's the it really it seems like some of the issues we're experiencing at the moment are about the the cattle and the players that are actually out there, um, and some of that comes down to the lack of experience as well. Like Noel Alessio is twenty one and he's starting fly half for the Wallabies, going up against the All Blacks three times. It's not been done before. We've not had a player this young, this inexperienced, driving around our team, and a lot of the mistakes are coming through his involvements. We tried switching things around with. Matt Tamua as well. And we can see that even a player with his experience and his caliber is still being forced into the same mistakes that Noah was making um, because this all-black side is just so good. Morgs, there's a question that's come in from Chris Lamb. It's all mental. What's well, a statement. How do we reverse the meek mentality when facing the all-blacks? Is it a case of it's all in your head? Now, Mitch kind of spoke to it a little bit about some of the inexperience we have in key positions, such as Tate McDermott or Noah Lolasiu. Uh, is this a mental issue that the Wallabies are having to deal with? Because there are so many simple errors that are just frustrating the fans, and we know the players can be better than that. Yeah, I think there's a case of everything's mental. Every part of it has that mental part of it. And and I think the, the big misnomer is unforced errors. Wallabies are making errors, but you have to give credit to the All Black, their ability to put pressure on, whether it's a breakdown and ball delivery, whether it is changing the picture defensively so that if you look at, say you look at intercepts, if we just focus on that as an example, and there's lots of different examples in the way the Wallabies are playing, but the intercepts, those pictures for what Noel Olesio or Matt Tamua look up and see change very late with decisive pressure and decision-making from the All Blacks, and they get picked off. If you if you go back and look at it, when Noah looks up, when Tamu looks up, there is significant space there. But the ground that's made by Mwangas and Severis is really late. It just shows, look, it's, it's a good All Blacks team 
who work hard together, work well together and are making good decisions. And that there's a mental element to, look, you know what, you've just got to keep going. If you know Alolo CEO, the perfect thing for his development was a game like that, the, the Bledisloe in Brisbane last year, where he came off the bench. He, he didn't have to run the whole game for 80 minutes. He could just come on and play some footy as an impact player. In a perfect world, that's how Noah would experience Test Rugby for a while. French Test Series is great for him, maybe a couple of games on spring tour. Having played, what is it, he's played five of his tests, well, this weekend he will have played five of his tests against the All Blacks. Um, you know, I think my first ones were Ireland and Wales are a bit easier when, when you come in, when you play them in June in Australia compared to, to other times. So, it's it, look, it's it's yes, it's where we're at. It will mean that the, that the, that the development of Noah and Tate and guys, like that even Hunter Paisami, will accelerate because they've been thrown in the deep end. The crucial thing is making sure we, we keep them. We've seen this before. How many times have you guys said it to young and inexperienced Wallabies team or backline? It happens. So the key now is to keep a core group together. Um, that'll be really important. But I think through all this, the frustrations around performance, uh, I think you always have to talk about the quality of the pressure the All Blacks were able to exert. And sorry for talking too much, but we talk about That's the good. scores. The other key... like. Some of the key metrics around the game, the Wallabies are really good. So when you guys talk about fixing some of those forced or unforced errors, that's a really valid point. So I'm trying to get across, especially in Test Rugby, the possession can be very much a fool's gold statistic in terms of the result. But territory is often a really good pointer. Wallabies had 64% of territory. Almost two-thirds of territory played down the All Blacks' end of the field and a decently fair split of possession. They had – Wallabies had 10 22-metre entries against the All Blacks' 13 entries and we got beat 57 to 22. So there's some good things in there, um, some really significantly good things in there. Now, we're kicking in play a bit more. Our decision-making about when to kick and when to, when to pass and when to play – Obviously, still needs work. But in some of the things that really count in games, generally the Wallabies are doing well. But what you guys have identified perfectly is big moments, winning big moments, decision-making and execution under pressure. And if you have a flat spot against the Wallabies at the moment, you're getting away with it without getting hurt too much on the scoreboard. If you're having a flat spot against the Springboks and the All Blacks, then you're in real trouble. Yeah. And I think some of the big moments that you just spoke to, there's no better person for the big moments, be it for good or bad, than Quade Cooper. And there's been a lot of talk about his inclusion or potential inclusion within the Wallabies 23 this weekend. So I think we can use that as a perfect segue into the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast Wallabies 23. So hopefully you can see that on your screens. I might quickly just blow it up even further as we talk through it. Um, so this is the 23 that we have chosen and also. So get rid of this banner so you can see the reserves bench as well. So we've got Slipper, Pangaramosa, and Alan Alatoa as our front three. Then Isaac Rodder comes into the starting 23 alongside Philip with Valentini, Wilson, and Hooper as our back row. On the well, in the back line, we have Tate McDermott and Noah Lolasiu partnered as the playmakers, with Samu Karevi coming in for his first game for the Wallabies since I believe 2020. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I think it's 2020. And um, partnered with Lenny Ikatau in the centers with Marika Korambete, Andrew Kellaway, and then Banks. And then our bench is Bell, Kaitu, Tupo, Swain, Nicerani, White, Cooper. 
and then Hodge. <laughs> now, before we get into the conversation around Cooper, um, well, actually, no, before we get into the conversation around the rest of the team, let's let's speak to Cooper right there. Rev, you were the one that was kind of shouting down the rest of us as we were wanting yeah. to include him on the bench. Um, I'll have my opinion in a moment. What's your opinion here, Rev? <laughs> My thoughts are just that if he is uh, well and truly playing the house out training and, you know, doing all the right things, I don't mind him starting at 10 if Rennie sees him as the best option. Um, but I think we've got to look to Noel Lawless here as, you know, the emerging 10. He's done really well in his tests, given all the pressure and all the expectation that's been thrown upon him. Um, my preference was to have that exact same starting team but just have Jordi Pataya on the bench with Resodge. I think between the two of them you get all your coverage from 10 to 15. Um, but... To me, Pataya is just one of those players that I'd love to see more of, and I think he's got that real spark that would be great in the second half against uh, an All Blacks outfit. So I've definitely got no problems with Quaid um, getting the crack if if Rennie does, uh, says it's worthy. But for me, I just I see more upside with having a bit more versatility on the bench and sticking to um, Noah. Right. So Jason Sherman agrees with you. Now that's no indication of whether you're right or wrong, but at least you got one person <laughs> with you there. You're on board, now, Jason. I'll... Good work. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to be honest, uh, Mitch is the one that really, really, really wanted Quaid within a 23, and I just went along for the headlines. Okay. So uh, Rev got shattered down two to one. Morgs, when you look at this team, do you think we're kind of on the money? Do you see any significant changes from what we have predicted? Uh, yeah, oh, I think you won't be far away, to be honest. I, I did. I must say, I did like Valentini at eight, and I didn't think it would make as much of a difference as it did. Whether it just freed him up to rove a bit more and pick and choose in the middle of the park, what he did, and he had less of a, a scripted role as a number six in a holding position defensively or, or, or a, a different role in some of their attacking plays. But I was really impressed by him. It's a little bit of what I've been waiting for from Rob Valentini and he and Artie Sevilla, they just went at each other. Um, so, great, I, I, so, so I'd be hesitant to move him away from eight if that was the reason why he played so well. But I, I, I've got no issues with the cattle that are in the back row. I don't mind, Rev, I don't mind your, your thinking with Geordie on the bench there. My, my thing with Quaid is I love Quaid and I, I actually really like this as a reward for guys coming all the reports I'm hearing is that he's just been amazing around the group. He's been a really great mentor for, for Noah especially and even Tate coming through working with him. Don't forget, this is a, not the Quade Cooper that we knew at 18, 22, 23. This is the mature version of Quade Cooper, a little bit like we're seeing with James O'Connor, uh, someone who just knows his role as a 10, what a 10 needs to do, experience around the world as a player, and he can impart that role. I, I love it that he might get a cap as a reward. But I also think in the cold hard light of day that Noah should be at 10. Let's not waste another opportunity to give him more experience. And look, you would think that O'Connor comes into the squad and Quaid might come out of the Wallaby squad. And if he's not going to be part of Dave Rennie's future plans, and who knows whether he is or isn't, um, then, then you probably don't pick him, to be honest. So I'd, I'd be much happier to see Geordie there. If Quaid's going to go back to Queensland and O'Connor's going to come back into the squad, then there's no real point. We're, we're talking about an inexperienced Wallabies team, a team that needs as much cohesion as possible by playing together as much as possible. If Quaid's not going to be part of the future plans, then there's probably not a great deal of point yeah. to it. And I think that's really the big question is to what extent he's going to be a part of the future plans. And if he's really not going to be around for the next, well, beyond the next 12 months, I'm not sure what role he has to play within the match day 23 at this point in time. But I just love the headlines that he brings. So that's why I wanted him there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, boys, how fun would the last 20 minutes be or something if he oh, came yeah. on? He wouldn't die wondering, would he? <laughs> no. And, and that's It'll the be fun. fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Morgs, one of the interesting questions that comes, and I'll throw this to you as well, is the midfield combination at 12 and 13. So, we obviously don't have um, Hunter Paisami because he's yeah. had to go home with the birth of his bub. And so, we have a new partnership. Paisami had been in every backline under Dave Rennie so far this year. And now there is an enforced change. And to an extent, we're bringing in kind of like for like with Karevi in terms of the physicality they bring and the growing ability to be that second playmaker that uh, supposedly Karevi has been developing whilst over in Japan. Now, Morgs, you've played with players, multiple players with changing combinations. Is it more important to focus on the combinations and building partnerships within your 12 and 13 or choose the best available players regardless of if they're normally at 12 or normally at 13? Well, I think it's important to pick guys that fill the criteria you're looking for. Okay, what what's Dave Rennie want? Does he has he decided that he wants a second ball player, or does he, does he want two running backs? Uh, and we're still not sure exactly what he wants, what Scott Wiseman wants, and even what Matty Taylor wants to see in that midfield defensive backline. So, it looks like they're still experimenting. I'm very much about picking the guys who are going to give you the roles you're looking for. Karevi is a great like for like change for a Paisami, and I love Lenny Kata, so I'd be happy to, to see what you guys have picked. Um, for me, it, it, look, it, it's almost ducking the question, but it's very much a blend of shared experience, cohesion versus talent. Um, yep. it's, it's, you know, you shade it however you like. I'm happy with that one. What we don't want to see is, and, and you guys will have tracked it right through the Michael Checker is there was lots of chopping and changing, and a lot of it was in the midfield. Um, and there's a reason why successful teams, Nonu and Smith, Horan and Little, those combinations are there because it's a really important link in the chain. You can change wingers on the end of change or fullbacks a lot easier than you can your 12 and 13 because their relationships with other players around them are so crucial. So, you know, when, when you get into the core of that group, when we talk about spines and things like that, those those guys are very important. Um, Paisami will be there for a long time. Sama would be great if he was part of the Wallaby group going forward. And, and I wouldn't even be adverse to seeing both of them have a crack together just see what, as I mentioned, those two running backs together might look like. What could they do? Our issue, too, is, is 15, how that blends. And Pataya, I think you guys mentioned him on the bench, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the bench. And if he's on the bench to come on at 15 at the end, uh, lots of people are talking about him getting a crack at 15. Just hasn't played enough footy for us to be able to see it. But uh, especially those within the Wallaby environment definitely want to see him play some time at fullback. Maybe this is that chance. Yeah. Mitch, how do you feel if you were to see uh, Jordy Pattaya come on at Wallabies 15 before he's even played there for the Reds? Me, me, Mitch, or Rev? Yes, you, Mitch. You, Mitch. Okay, sorry. <laughs> he's the Queensland van here. No, no, um, no. I've got to ask the newly appointed Queensland The newly appointed van. Queensland van. Yeah. Okay, sure, yeah. sure. Bandwagon. Um, yeah, um, I think that's where he's going to end up. I think that's where his trajectory is at the moment. He hasn't played enough super rugby level there, or I don't know too much about his uh, younger years and his experience coming through the system, but... I do think that Pattaya needs to be playing 15. And by 2023, I imagine he'll be our first choice 15 or our second choice. So I do think that that's where Dave Rennie wants to see him play. I would not be surprised to see him play there next year for the Reds. Um, and if we throw him in at, at the second half of, of Bled 3 this weekend, then all for it. Let's, let's give it a crack. It can't hurt.
well, it, it might hurt depending on how the scores are. <laughs> yeah, it might hurt him. <laughs> it might hurt him. <laughs> okay, so um, he may actually have that chance in the upcoming Super Rugby Pacific season now that Bryce Hegarty has gone over to Leicester and uh, Jock Campbell played a fair bit of game time for the Reds on the wing last season. So it may well be an opportunity. depends on how much uh, Scotty Wiseman to any others are in the ears of Brad Thorne, just kind of whispering sweet nothings to him. So <laughs> before we move on, why don't we head to a couple of fan questions that have come in uh from sheepy good old sheepy good to see you mate my memory of cooper was as a brilliant player when he had space but under rush defense from an opposition he panicked and chose the wrong option all black south africa and argentina all do great rush defense it is one of the challenges the wallabies are facing is the ability to adapt and react to the high stress high impact high pressure defensive systems in play throughout most national teams now and then Hugh Tyndall has also said, if New South Wales wasn't in lockdown, would Cooper be in a team? I doubt it. I think it's just a good opportunity for Rennie to bring in a mentor who can, if he has to play a game, wouldn't be picking him personally. Thanks, Hugh, for chucking your opinion in there. So now let's actually move on to some of our thoughts about the weekend's match itself. And Rev, considering the absence of some of the key All Blacks figures like Aaron Smith, Richie Mwanga and Sam Whitelock, would you say this All Black side is vulnerable? Uh, I wouldn't. Um, maybe some more game people than me would. I think the, the team's still, like, if you're replacing Rich Mong with Bowden Barrett, you know, two times World Player of the Year, you're replacing Sam Whitelock with any of Brody Retallick, Scott Barrett, Patrick Tuipalotu, like, these guys have captained their club. Like, they've got so much cattle in here. They're replacing Aaron Smith with TJ Perinara, the second most capped scrum half they've got. So, uh, to me, I think it's a slight benefit because it uh, ruffles the feathers of the team and shakes up a few of the, you know, settled positions. But, I mean, they're replacing these players with superstars. Um, I don't think that any of these replacements are that much of a step down. In fact, they'd all start for the Wallabies. So, like, we've still got it cut out for us. Um, the big challenge will be how we adapt to our own emissions with Paisami and Salakai Loto out because um, we need to try and fill those roles before we can focus on how we're going to try and attack their slight, slight uh, diminishes. So are you doing that? typical rugby player rugby coach thing of oh we're just going to focus on our own game and just and not worry about the opposition oh, absolutely <laughs> and, um, now there's a couple of interesting stats that i just want to bring up um firstly is that the wallabies record on home soil since 2019 is standing at six wins two losses and two draws which uh when you think about the state of kind of opinion towards the wallabies over the last couple of years makes you think it's not as doom and gloom as people have been saying at least on home soil we'll just ignore the last two matches at eden park but for now we'll take that um and there was also another really interesting stat that popped up um in terms of our record overall record in perth so we've had 12 wins two draws three losses and our last test was the 47 26 win over the All Blacks. So, uh, Morgs, if we are to have a chance this weekend, what do the Wallabies need to change? What do they need to be improving upon? I think we've, we've touched on it really in reviewing um, the first two matches is, is very much a reaction to what was there. Look, our, our set piece ha has been you know, more reliable than we could have expected against the All Blacks previously. Uh, we had, we've have had some issues at line-out time, but our scrum, I think, has stood up better than I, I remember it standing up in the last decade. What we probably haven't done is attacked well off our scrum. Um, you know, we, we had lots of scrums in the first two 
Bledisloe that we could have attacked off and we were pretty basic in what we did and didn't profit from that. So that'll be really important. We talk about it a lot, but the Wallabies score about two-thirds of their tries, which is not dissimilar to everyone else offline out. But Scrum has been, one, a good source and, two, an opportunity to relieve or mount pressure. So that'll be important that set-piece is still there. And the big one is, is denying New Zealand that chaos periods of the game playing the game at, at, at the Wallabies' pace that they want to. Um, and, and set-piece will be important around that. The great thing, too, with Dan McKellar there is, is that we've seen the focus on Maul. There has been lots of opportunities around the fringes of Maul, especially sort of the mini Maul peeling open, and, and the Wallabies have just not got the detail right. So what they'll see is that in their play there are opportunities. The other side of the ball will be the big one more than anything in attack is defensively just need to find a way to hold on and be really, really effective in those first two phases to deny the All Blacks quick ball because, you know, we've all seen um, off fast ball when the Wallabies at sort of at sixes and sevens, we're just not holding on. Our scramble defence isn't good enough to keep them out at the moment. So first two or three phases defensively will be huge for Matt Taylor and the work that they've been done. Look, it's an old thing. We've talked about it ad nauseum. If you keep the All Blacks around that 20-point or below margin, you're in it. If we're going to leak 50, it doesn't matter. You can't go toe-to-toe and, and shoot from the hip with them because you just can't keep up with them. So um, there's there's some really specific things around defence and playing the game at the right tempo and territory and set-piece that will make it a close game. And that's when things like selection, different 9 and 10. Malanga has been the imperious player of the first two games. Um, he's been in another stratosphere to every other player. When you can keep Bowden Barrett out of the team, you're going okay. But you look at every single significant moment in games, he's got his fingerprints all over it. And a little segue I'm doing for Stan in the pre-show as well on Sunday that'll talk a little bit about the All Blacks' work off the ball. And he actually surprised me how hard and how he works off the ball and how fit he is. Um, so, so not having him, yes, you bring Bowden Barrett in. Yes, it's Weber or Perinara. Yes, two Pelotas there. They're all great players. But Malanga at the moment is the best player in the world. And that'll be a big loss for them. So if we can set piece, defence tight, keep it a tight game, play at the right tempo, get it into that last 20 where the game's on the line, then those little things around selection and, and, and improved errors and, and not giving the, any gimmies away to the All Blacks can come into play. The, the big difference around this third Bledisloe, forget about 2020 being the anomaly year it was, but the big difference about this year is third Bledisloe's are often dead rubbers. This is part of TRC, so there's no way the All Blacks take their foot off the accelerator for this one. Mitch, is defensive integrity the improvement that you want to see most from the Wallabies or is there some other area that you're really hoping that we step up within? Yeah, I think we need we need to be better defensively, and that's the biggest flaw that we've had in the last two games. So if we can get those small things and change those things, we're looking at a different outcome. Um, I th- the thing that I would love to see the the Wallabies do in this game, and I'm not going to say the All Blacks are vulnerable in this in this area, but they don't have their leaders on the park at the moment. So Adi Savia is a relatively young leader for an All Black side. So he's only got one year uh, being the captain for the Hurricanes. He's now been made the All Blacks captain. He's without some of the other players that you still got Scott Barrett, you've still got Bowden Barrett, you've still got some of those other leaders around the park. But we've also seen when the Wallabies are able to get underneath, particularly Artis Javier, get into the niggle, get him a bit riled up, he might start to make silly mistakes. He might start to make decisions that not not a another a player like uh, Whitelock would be making. So I really want to see... Uh, some mongrel come into the game, sort of like what Rennie was talking about at the end of last year or end of the super season with players like Swinton and saying he likes that aggression, but they need to to know when to to play it. 
we haven't really seen that so far this year. We haven't really been able to get really aggressive and really sort of in the All Blacks' faces because we've pretty much been chasing the game most of the time. So I would love to see the Wallabies really take it to the All Blacks, get in their face, get aggressive, get a little bit dirty, um, do some of the things that the All Blacks are, are good at doing, playing, taking plays off the ball and those kinds of things. Um, and maybe we might be able to get one up over them. I wonder if that if that logic is followed, then maybe we'll see a Swinton 6 and Valentini 8 combination with Wilson coming off the bench. Maybe even nicer Rani for the added bulk that he brings and give Wilson a rest because of the workload he's had over the last 18 months for a pretty young frame. Um, but there are a couple of questions that have or comments that have been coming in, so I will just quickly jump to them. Uh, Jason Sherman has, again, indicated the desire for Tupo to start early so we can be getting the scrum dominance from an early point of view. I think... Uh, it's might be a little my opinion is that it might be a bit hopeful expecting scrum dominance against the all blacks considering the quality of their pack but at the very least tupo is probably one of the best or most damaging scrummages that we have if he's not told to scrum straight and so it could well be that that can get us some advantage if he does start uh, another question that has um oh, a follow-up from chris lamb to jason is that he wants us to get a rub over them early and convert the opportunities when they are there so my my hope is that um noah lolosiu if he is starting can return back to his kind of incredibly accurate goal kicking form of the french Series and not how he kind of went to Eden Park. That that was less than desirable <laughs> under some pretty horrendous conditions. So let's now put our money where our mouth is and start with Rev. What's your prediction for the match? Give us who's going to win by how much? Uh, I'll go All Blacks by 12. All Blacks by 12. Okay, Mitch. Wallabies by six. Ooh. Love it. Oh, look. That's the head and heart thing, isn't it? It should be it should yeah. be the it should be the All Blacks by about 13, 14 points. But there's enough. It's Thursday. So Monday, Tuesday, you ask me, I say the All Blacks win. By Thursday, I start to get a bit biased. I get excited. My kids get excited. My son's already asked me who's playing. He wants to know what the team is. Um, so about Thursday night, I start to think Wallabies by one. Oh, nice. Wallabies nice. by one. That's exciting. Well, considering our dominant record at Perth. Uh, 14, 2, and 3. Look, I just can't see anything but a Wallabies win. So I'm going to go New Zealand by 6. Um, that, that's my <laughs> prediction. <laughs> All right, cool. So uh, we have not a huge amount of time. So, gents, if you're okay, I might skip over the rest of the rugby championship chat because we've had a host of questions come in to Morgs that we wanted to kind of throw at you, mate. And these aren't specific to the rugby championship or the Bledisloe. People knew you were coming on, so they had a few questions that they wanted to bring. So what we might do is to start with the hot topic of Australian rugby that isn't Quade Cooper and ask from <laughs> Hugh Tyndall here. Does or do you have any mail on an NRC replacement for next year? It's still the number one issue to solve in Australian rugby for mine. Uh, no, no mail there. Uh, the mail I do have is that there's a real intent to resurrect the Australia A program um, as opposed to NRC. I haven't heard much about NRC being talked about. Uh, truthfully, within RA, the things I've heard is very much around survival and test matches and wallabies are what pays the bills and, and flows everything through the broadcast money and the, and the dollars coming in. So everything's been about wallabies. Um, the idea around cohesion in that wallaby group has been to resurrect Australia and possibly play a Pacific Nations again. So I think in the short term, there's much more likely for Australia A to play in a Pacific Nations with Japan 
possibly the Maori, maybe Americas and the Pacific Islands uh, before looking at an NRC. Okay. If well, I hear something, I'll report back, put it that way. Hey, we'd awesome. love it. There's so many love people it. clamouring for it, but, yeah, that'll be well, wonderful. Well, the issue, NRC, I think we all know that it is great. The great issue with NRC is that not enough people paid to turn up and watch it, turned on their TV and watched it or wanted to sponsor it. So since the first one in, what, the ARC in 07 was an absolute financial black hole, that's been the great issue. One of the things that has come out of Twitter this week, and I'll be quick on this one, is the thought that maybe we could have Super Rugby AU after Super Rugby Pacific as a replacement NRC. So all the Wallabies players go off and play international duties and then the rest of the Australian contingent play NRC, uh, play Super Rugby AU uh, like we had this year. Uh, and then you can have some of the players from Club Rugby come through and fill up some of those spots. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've got a calendar to fill. So there's opportunity there. Um, how sits in the hospitals and shoot shields and those sorts of things is always the issue. Yeah. And, uh, and, and sorry, the other one about NRC, the other little one is, um, is is making sure there's a genuine pathway from NRC to Super Rugby for those sort of peripheral guys. Lots of players. New South Wales have always been the basket case of NRC. Queensland <laughs> do it great. Melbourne at times have done it okay, but they went through a period of, of sending their players overseas during NRC so they could save money and things like that. So New South Wales have always been the basket case. They often have played NRC with no contracts available anyway. So lots of guys would go, well, why would I bother, you know, playing NRC uh, when not a lot of people are watching it, it's not it's, it's not a pathway for me to further success. It's better rugby because better players are playing um, in a more condensed fashion. There's more talent in there, so there's there's still issues around how and why the NRC will work. Yeah, yep, I totally hear that. Another question that's come in and is from just pick and drive rugby favourite Simon Nelson, who just loves the Western Force and won't <laughs> stop talking about him. Do you do we think that now they will most likely include Western Force players? We will finally win. Uh, maybe. Thank you, Simon. It's been great to hear from you again, mate. Okay, so maybe. heading forward now. Um, sorry, mate. Heading forward, we've got another question here from Freddie Carlton Smith. Morg, saw your tweet about financial financial brinkmanship of NZR and initially cancelling Game Three. Can you explain what really happened in the saga and how Oz was left in the dark? Now, one of the things um, you probably don't need to dredge it all up. I feel like we've Australian rugby has moved on from maybe a week and a half ago, but maybe just a bit of an overview of your kind of perspective and thoughts around surrounding that decision. Yeah, so the first one is from New Zealand rugby perspective, there's always that player welfare angle that they can play, and which is a very valid one. And they didn't want to go to Perth when they weren't sure where they were going, notwithstanding the fact that the Wallabies were in Perth uh, and not knowing whether they were going to South Africa, the UK or Queensland um, or staying in WA for TRC. So it was fine for the Wallabies boys to be there. So, look, if they want to say that, to, to buy themselves a week, that's fine. There were other things at play. Um, obviously, the financial windfall um, for the TRC being in the UK, especially with New Zealand at the negotiating table with their own players and the Silver Lake private equity deal. So there were financial uh, issues at play in the background there. And also they had they did have some issues around confirming their coaching staff at board level. So they were sort of buying a week where they could You've got to remember how much movement and accommodation was made for New Zealand, changing of the Bledisloe over there and things like that. But, look, it's the COVID world, so they, they did what they had to do um, and we got to a game. So I think you know, we can all put that to bed and let the rugby speak for itself now. Look, I completely hear that. I think that's very diplomatic of you and kind of you to say as well. Um, we were all pretty filthy about the 
the nature of the communication, at least from a, a, a punter's perspective. Now, shifting across to a couple of questions that came in from Twitter earlier in the week. Uh, basically, Morgs, can we get some input on what happened to the emus? Knowing that you'd said previously on the pod that Randwick would want to help if they had to, why is one of the biggest sources of the juniors thrown away yet again within Shoot Shield rugby? Yeah, so the report I received um, was that the emus didn't apply for a license to be in the shoot shield. So and is that because they saw the writing on the wall just, and didn't think? No, they I think they just gave it. Well, para para should have seen the writing on the wall as well, um, and, and there'll be some some um, changes to the participation agreement for both the hunter and para to make sure they stay in those. Uh, things I think could have been afforded to Penrith. The only information I have is that they didn't apply to be in it, and that there was there was um, motivation to help them, just the same as Western Sydney Two Blues, Parramatta. Uh, what what other politicking happened behind the scenes? I'm not sure, but I know Ramwick. The only thing I got told by the Ramwick board is that they were like they are happy to put money into Para and Penrith to keep them going because so many players come from there. And you know what? If you want to call yourself Sydney Rugby Union. Well, there's a fair bit of Sydney that you need to be playing out of. You can't just call yourself sort of the the Eastern um, East Shoot Shield sort of thing. You know what I mean? So that's all um, of Sydney that matters, though, isn't it, mate? Well, <laughs> look, mate. None of us like going west of Anzac Parade, but we do what we must. Look, no, um, <laughs> funnily enough, mate. Every time we finish Super Rugby, you look at the calendar for Ramwick, and it was always Penrith at Nepean, and you spent 80 minutes trying to run away from Henry Sharp. So um, <laughs> we, we had fun times playing at Penrith. It's always a good trip. There's normally somewhere to stop off for a nice feed on the way home. Um, so, I, mate, I loved playing Para and Penrith and those sorts of things. It's it's the shoot shield. It's Sydney Rugby Union. It should be representative of that. Hopefully, they'll they'll drop down to subbies level maybe. We've got the Western Raptors who are a really strong club at both juniors and seniors. Yeah, and so there's players and there is clubs. So maybe maybe Penrith doesn't need to be a shoot shield club. It doesn't mean there's no rugby out there. I understand the idea that to be in the top competition in Sydney is good in terms of revenue and, and status and things like that and pathways. But, you know, I suppose New South Wales and Sydney Rugby Union, their job now is to make sure those players don't get lost to league even more. I suppose. And I then even at the moment, sorry, quick one is that, that yep. there needs to be a fair bit done um, to help Parramatta now and Penrith, if it's in subbies, keep their juniors. They don't want to see their juniors playing elsewhere. There needs to be a pathway that they can keep their juniors. Whether the Waratahs need to have their own Western Sydney Academy or something, leadership yep. needs to take place there. And that's part of the big problem, I think, is that idea of leadership within Sydney rugby. It's just something that externally, from people that don't have skin in the game like we do, it just doesn't seem to be outwardly apparent that there is a clear vision of what rugby in Sydney and even New South Wales itself should be looking like. And so all we have is this narrative of the the, the competition shrinking and receding and the key growth areas like the Western Suburbs are just being from all outward appearances left behind. Yeah, I think even even <laughs> Jason's uh, sort of chat about it, it not happening elsewhere. Sydney, the Sydney comp's interesting in that. Look, there's the top half and the bottom half, and that's the thing. I think there's frustrations at the top that other clubs haven't been dragged up. Sydney Uni changed the game for everyone, and everyone's been trying to play catch-up to the brilliant. Look, look, they have different advantages that they have, but it is a brilliant program that they run. Uh, simply, it hurts me to say that because I just hate them. But it is a brilliant <laughs> program that they run. You have to say that. Their success speaks for itself. But So there is frustration why those other clubs haven't been dragged up. And there's been player points systems to try and help them. There's been 
all sorts of ways of trying to even the combat, and none of them have worked. This participation agreement where, you know, there will be a GM hired for para, there will be revenue put in, there will be an advisory committee. Maybe this will work. This is the next thing in a long line of things that have been tried. Something needs to be done. The other big thing is something like a 2027 World Cup successful bid held here will put money in the bank that will genuinely have to be spent in one Western Sydney two on women's rugby and three on the community game all around Australia. And the, the thing about World Cups these days are they're worth that much money. There will be that money. That is the last great huge chance for rugby in this country. And I think on that point, why don't we start to wrap up the evening? There were some other questions, but we've reached our limit of about 40, 45 minutes. So we're going to wrap things up there. Rev, Mitch, thank you so much for coming along. Morgs, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you here tonight and to have your knowledge and experience. Thank you so much for coming, mate. Uh, pleasure. Always happy to chat. I love uh, I love this forum because there's opinions without accountability. A bit different <laughs> on Stan. When, if you say something... Normally, someone spits the dummy about what you've said, so that hopefully not article. too many people says, "Yeah, I can, I can throw something out there." The other thing is maybe uh, flick me through on Twitter or something some of those questions, and I'll try and get to them as well to those people that we didn't get to. Maybe wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mitch Rev. Good to see you guys, and we'll catch you next week for the pod. And everybody else, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful week.